and welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoss, C70 the Bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me as always, Tara Nichols from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We are somehow going to get through recording a show after, unless Alex Reyes comes in at the end of it and then we don't have it anymore. It's probably not entirely fair to start making Alex Reyes jokes, but... Oh man, after what we have seen over the last, well, pretty much since right before the All-Star break has been kind of tough to watch. And then it's just punctuated today, a game that the Cardinals really kind of needed to to win. I mean, you're playing Pittsburgh, splitting a four-game series isn't really ideal. Um, and you're one out away from not only winning that game, but getting gaining a game on the Reds. And Reyes, who walks two batters and gives up the three-run home run that ends the ball game, and um, not in a good way. It has again. This is kind of like that cherry on top. And even after the game, Mike Schilt is saying we may have, to, in his way, basically, kind of we may have to reevaluate how that works or what we use with Alex Reyes. Is there? I mean, what do they do now? What can they do now? Mm. I mean, that's easy enough to start the show off, right? right? Yeah, just just lob a, a softball to me, why don't you? Um, boy, it's it's difficult to know because, look, I think the easy thing is to conclude, well, Alex Reyes just can't do it, right? <laughs> but we saw him do it pretty consistently for a large part of the season. Now, does he walk guys way too often? Yes. Is he perhaps trying to figure out how to not walk guys so often and now just giving up lots of hits uh, there's a that possibility as well so it may be the effect of him trying to adjust so that he's not walking so many guys i don't know that's very much the layman's hey why is this happening kind of perspective but that doesn't really solve what you do about it right because if you take alex reyes out of the mix sure garcia has pitched pretty well as of late TJ McFarland, who I still, the, you know, third game he pitched in, I was like, how, who is this guy? How do I, what did I miss here? Uh, but he's, he's pitched all right. Outside of that, I, I feel like I was telling you before the show, I actually had to look and see who even is actively in the Cardinals bullpen right now, because I don't feel like we see any of them very often. And that could go one of two ways, right? It can point towards Mike Schilt and his overuse of the arms that he trusted at the beginning of the season, which is a pattern that we've seen him fall into, that we saw his predecessor fall into, that is a really easy thing for a manager to do, I think. But it also can point to the fact that there has not been a lot of reliability out of that bullpen all season. And, you know, you kind of want to pick on Mike Schilt for saying, why do you keep doing this? But at the same time, most of the year, you say, okay, who would you rather have seen there? (laughs) And there's not a great answer to that question either. So I think that makes it very difficult to know what to do with, you know, just a a handful of weeks left on the schedule, right? You're looking at a, a month of baseball and being just so close to a playoff spot that you probably don't deserve at this point based on the season that you've put together. But there's not a great answer to that. I think 
my answer to your question is you don't lean into the insanity by mm-hmm. trying the same thing over and over again and expecting it to magically work this time. If you realize Alex Reyes doesn't have it, and look, I think it's fairly obvious at this point the games where he does and the games where he doesn't. It's not a mystery wondering when he's going to lose it. <laughs> if, he, if it's not there, you know pretty early on that it's not there. And I know that the three batter minimum rule complicates some of those bullpen decisions because you can't pull a guy out as soon as you realize he doesn't have it mm-hmm. if it's the first batter he faced. And I think that's one of the reasons I very strongly dislike that rule because I mm. think it makes managers who struggle with bullpen management even worse at their job <laughs> because yeah. they don't have the ability to adjust as the game calls for it. And I think that's par- been part of the problem at times this season. Now, was that the issue with Alex Reyes today? Probably not, but who knows? Maybe maybe you feel like there's more flexibility, so you kind of go into an inning with the intention of, okay, I can have somebody up and just pull him out if I need to. But I don't think that attitude is the Mike Schultz way either of I'm going to pull him out if I need to. So I feel like I'm, I'm dancing around the question because there are a lot of layers to this. And I'm aware that there's nuance to the way things go on in the clubhouse, the information that Mike Schultz and company have that we don't but at some point probably before he gave up the three run homer you should be able to in late august look at a situation and go okay this isn't going to end well and that doesn't mean alex reyes is incapable it doesn't mean he's not going to get a chance you know four days from now to close out a game but it means that this win is important so you got to pull the strings that allow you to get this win and worry about what you do four days from now, four days from now. I know that simplifies it, and you have to be like 12 steps ahead to be a successful baseball manager, but you also have to understand the moment. And I think all too often at this point, we see Mike Schilt kind of abandon the moment for the long term, and that's where a lot of these losses seem to stack up, one on top of the other, because there's this insistence that, well, he's really good. Well, okay, no one's saying he's terrible. They're just saying it was clear he wasn't really good today. Right. <laughs> so do something today, whether that's Garcia or rearranging where McFarland pitches or yeah, trusting someone else to step in and step up, even if it's, you know, doesn't seem like the obvious choice. And when you don't have a great obvious answer, you sometimes have to make a decision that's not the obvious choice but at least you're at least you're trying something that doesn't have a foregone conclusion like it seems is happening with these particularly three arms out of the bullpen that have just thrown too much yeah there is an interesting discussion to see if you know reyes and gallegos and cabrera have have thrown a lot too much um i don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, it looks like it is. You look at some of their innings, they're kind of going to hit the marks of, of their career highs. They're also going to, um, uh, you know, after last year, it's, it's quite a step up and things of that nature. Um, you know, I know Derek Gould at one time, not too long ago said he didn't think that it had been overused necessarily because of, you know, not 
there's not the Matt Bowman who's been out there like every day right. or something like that. Um, but still, I, it feels to me like there's definitely been more than you would like to see. Of course, you know, I mean, then we're also talking about it, Alex Reyes, that they wanted to get to 100 innings this year, mm-hmm. and he's not going to come anywhere close to that. So, you know, how does this all mesh? I don't know. But it does feel like, it feels a little bit like Alex Reyes did it with smoke and mirrors in the first half because of all the walks, because of all the times that he could get out of things, maybe with, you know, of strikeouts here and there. And it's just not, you know, it's kind of catching up to him now. Maybe it's not fair, but it is, that's also baseball, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the levels of, of how things balance out. I mean, before today, you know, he, since that game in Atlanta where he walked everybody, including you and me, um, in that, in that inning against the Braves, he'd pitched in eight inning, eight games and not walked a batter, but he'd also given up 11 hits and eight runs. I mean, three of them, you know, five of them were unearned. I think it's because it's somewhat because of those, uh, extra inning ones, but you know, so you know, honestly, he walked a guy today. I thought maybe he was back on track. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and didn't turn out to be. I don't know. I don't know what they do with him. I can't see him being a closer now. And, you know, honestly, if you lose two out of three against Cincinnati this week, assuming they get get them in, as you were talking before the game, before we started here, that there's a lot of rain in the forecast. But, yeah. um, and maybe double headers work for the Cardinals in this situation. <laughs> I don't know. Um, playing those seven inning affairs. But, you know, if you lose the series against the Reds, maybe you then are free to just see what you have in September, you know, start figuring this out. I mean, you know, knock on all sorts of wood, Jordan Hicks should be back next year. And there's your, an option for the end of the games, but it seems like unlikely they're going to start him out as a closer. So maybe you spend a month with Giovanni Gallegos as your ninth guy. Maybe you get creative, which is something we've talked about the Cardinals not (laughs) being able to do and, you know, rotate guys. Cause I kind of feel like, Maybe Mike Schilt would do that. It seems like he's gotten to where he's going to use TJ McFarland in different, you know, he's not always using him in the seventh. He's not always using Luis Garcia in the sixth or anything like that. And maybe if you break that, um, break that mold, you would see a little bit more of, okay, we're going to use Ponce in the sixth in this game. And next night we'll use him in the eighth. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you think that maybe this, allows for that creativity, especially if it looks like it, at a wild card spot is even less likely than it is now. Boy, I would like to think that that is an effective way of using the remainder of the season. If you know, you're kind of conceding the push for the postseason. I don't know that they'll ever outright say that, which makes it a little complicated right. to, you know, as long as they're mathematically within striking distance, this is a team that's going to say, Hey, hold on. We're still in this. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you have a manager saying, Hey, we played baseball, we played really good baseball this series. And you look back at it and you go, Wait, really? <laughs> you did against one of the worst teams in baseball. Okay. Uh, sure, we can call it that. Um, I don't know that they're, like I said, going to concede that possibility early enough to really go in after this idea of, hey, let's try some stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they were to 
let's say, get swept by the Reds and, you know, lose the next two out of the next three as well, right? Then all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where it doesn't really matter much what you're about to do. Um, (laughs) You're clearly not going to play good enough baseball to get where you thought you deserved to be. And then, yes, it would be nice to see some of that creativity. I think I have a hard time believing even that Mike Schilt can be any sort of creative because we hear him talk about it. And then what we see on the field all too often matches kind of the predictable, this is what you always do in baseball kind of move. Now, Mm -hmm. with the exception you have mentioned, he's moved guys around a bit in sort of those middle innings, but that hasn't necessarily translated to getting creative at the end of games. And in fact, he's been quite defensive about the way that he's managed the end of games with some of those guys that have been th- that were getting the job done earlier in the season. Now, I think it's also fair to look back and say <laughs> Mike Schilt, at least publicly, sees this team through a very different lens that is mm-hmm. very much one of, I don't know what you're talking about. These guys are great. And while that's probably beneficial to team morale, um, I'm not sure it's beneficial in terms of kind of the honest truth that could help them fix some of those issues. But I also think, look, he's limited. (laughs) He only has the roster that he has. And as we've discussed ad nauseum this season, it's not as good as it probably should have been. There were moves that could have been made that were not. And the moves that were made, maybe too little too late. And that's a part of this whole entire issue as well. But could they get creative? Could they let Junior Fernandez work out some of the issues that have kept him from being a consistent force in the bullpen until now? Could they, mm-hmm. you know, move some of those guys into different roles? Could they utilize, uh, you know, some of those long reliever types in different roles than they've been in before? Absolutely. Would it be beneficial to kind of knowing where they're at moving forward? Probably, but I also don't know if these are going to be the same names and same faces that they're dealing with next year. So uh, who really knows (laughs) at this point, but look again, just diving into the insanity of repeating the same mistakes over and over again, isn't helpful for anyone. I can't in any way find a scenario in which letting Alex Reyes continue to fail is actually good for his confidence or is actually good for his development when these are games that are still important to win. If they weren't games that were important to win and it was just like, Hey, go out there and try this thing. um, Then maybe you're, you're in a different scenario, but when it, the weight of the world falls on Alex Reyes shoulders and he knows after two batters Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have it. He knows that, you know, he's up against the wall for the 85th time this year or whatever it is. Um, there's I have never managed a professional athlete so I have no uh, qualifications to determine what this line is but I do feel like there has to be a line between building someone's confidence by trusting them even when they don't trust themselves and destroying what confidence is left by kind of forcing them into a situation that they know they're not going to be successful in um And I don't know what that line is for Alex Reyes. He seems like the kind of guy with the mentality that can just shrug it off. But he also has worked a really long time to get this chance. And I can't help but think he feels like, okay, I know that 
Adam Wainwright speaks highly of me. I know that I have all these saves on the year and I know that I've done my job, but I also know I walk a lot of guys and that's not going to get me where I want to go long term. So how do I make up for that and, and make changes? And the the repeat failures, I don't imagine, are helping him any more than they're helping the team. I wouldn't think so. Um, and I was it was interesting to listen to at least a little bit of Mike Schultz's um, post-game uh, up on the Valley Sports Twitter. They put it up. And, you know, he pointed out that, you know, he kind of got into this game as, uh, you know, people person. He wanted to, you know, help these players and help them grow and help them, you know, achieve. And, and he said something, and that something to the effect of basically he had a tough conversation coming because of that. Um, and I really, you know, I can't imagine it's going to be a lot of fun for anybody for him to sit down for with Alex Ress and say, look, we're not going to put you in the ninth inning anymore. Yeah. Um, but that's what a manager does. So, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm still curious about the transition from minor league managing to major mm-hmm. league managing for that very reason, right? Because the entire purpose of a manager at the minor league level, whether it's AAA or, you know, short season, is still to develop and maintain the skill set of players so that they can be successful at the major league level, right? It's not necessarily to win championships, even at the AAA level. Right. You know, they're they're trying to win, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, there's value in learning to win. But they're still trying to develop talent. And I have no, again, I, I have no real merit for this other than just a lot of conversations with minor league managers and the observation of major league managers. I don't know that the killer instinct we're looking for in Mike Schilt is something that he's going to have developed in managing in the minor leagues, even being around baseball for as long as he has, right? Because most of what he's done has been with a singular goal in mind, that is to develop players and get them ready for big league action, not necessarily to take those big league players and help them win a championship. And I don't know that that's as difficult a transition as it seems in my mind, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it does kind of reflect, at least in thinking about it that way, in some of the decisions that Mike Schultz makes, in some of the the ways he defends a decision, right, is how you would imagine defending somebody that you're trying to help develop into that player, not necessarily how you would defend a decision based on the fact that you thought it was the right move to win the game. Mm-hmm. And we've talked before, I know I've talked with Alex before and others on on other shows that Mike Schultz seems like he's at his best when he manages aggressively, but that almost takes him out of that comfort zone of managing people <laughs> and managing the game in the moment. Yeah. Um, and and I wonder sometimes, and I've wondered a lot this last week, how much of a jump there still is for him to make in his own development as a major league manager <laughs> versus a minor league manager in kind of rearranging the priorities or or I don't even know if that's the best way to say it but in kind of allowing the goal to be winning the game and not necessarily developing the guy for next year which all has to happen at once and I understand that 
and maybe I'm totally missing the mark on on the, the Mike Schilt connection to that, but um, to me, it seems like a, a very real element of what because look you hear all these guys that and I, i'm gonna stop rambling about this i promise but <laughs> <laughs> you hear all these guys who played for him in memphis talk about what a great manager he was about how he influenced their game about everything he did for them all those kinds of things they they go to bat for this guy because of how he impacted their professional careers and that's great right we love hearing those stories we love hearing colton wong talk about mike schilt we love hearing i've talked to xavier scruggs who played under mike schilt when he mm -hmm. was with the cardinals organization just just absolutely adores mike schilt i don't know that that praise comes from the same place as when we praise Tony LaRusa, right? Because Tony LaRusa is a great in-game manager because Tony LaRusa will make the tough decisions. And sometimes Tony makes decisions that don't make any sense. And we right. criticize that as well. Right? Let's be very clear. He is very much beyond um, frustrating at times with the, the way he, he does things. But the, the reason that people respect the two of them are very different. One is because he pushes you to a point where you might break, but you're also probably going to win something. <laughs> and the other one um, challenges you to be better the next time. And I don't know that they both have the same um, advantage at the major league level when you want to see a team whose focus is winning, not just getting better for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting thought there. And I, I think it's a fair discussion to have. Um, and it makes me wonder that if, and I've always also wondered this, does it feel like to me that if they ever decided to make a change at manager, that they might not just demote Mike Schilt instead right. of fire him, you know? Cause I, I, there is that problem when you get a guy to the manager's chair that you really like if it doesn't work, and I'm not saying that it's not here, now don't get me wrong, but I'm just just thinking out loud of that if it doesn't work, you know, where do you go from that? And I can't see like Mike Schilt going to work for another organization. He's been through the Cardinals his whole life. I mean, that might be a he's got to find a new job or something. But it could also see them saying, "Hey, let's put you back down to Memphis. Let you put you down to Springfield because that's where your strengths are." And and I also think that Mike Schilt would do that too a little different than mike matheny who had uh, no experience right and they really didn't have anything they could do with him but let him go um again i don't think that mike schultz going anywhere um especially not i think i don't know what his contract status is but it doesn't i don't think it i think he's under contract for next year so mm -hmm. um i i don't think that they would you know again they, they like mike schultz it's kind of like the front office right everybody likes them you know, the, Bill DeWitt likes the front office, so they're not going anywhere, no matter what we might think right. or others on Twitter might think, or the, that case of maybe there needs to be a little bit of a, a fresh perspective, but um, they're not going anywhere. And I don't think Mike Schilt is either, but um, yeah, it's really, really interesting point to, to say that uh, it might be a little bit different perspective there. Um and of course, we're talking a lot about Alex Reyes today. That wasn't the only bullpen <laughs> meltdown of the weekend as Genesis Cabrera, uh, you know, Thursday night lost a game that the Cardinals should have won. And, you know, because easily they could have easily swept the series. 
Um, which I mean, again, I think is what Mike Schultz going at was, yes, they played good baseball except for, you know, for the most part, it was better. It just had those moments that really mattered that, that blew up on them. And the Cabrera one was really interesting. And I, I'd have to double check. I'm pretty sure they didn't pitch Cabrera again this series. I really feel like they think that Pittsburgh had a tell on him and he, they're working yeah. it out. It's going to be really interesting to see one, if he looks a little different the next time they see him, because he'll have to pitch I we think against the Reds right. and two, you know, if he can, you know, if he can pitch without that tell or it's, it's just a little bit weird though, that Pittsburgh's the team that picked it up. Nobody else has. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. And I was actually working um, and not not watching that game, but mm-hmm. I, it's hard to imagine there wasn't something there. Um, yeah. It's strange that it just came up all of a sudden <laughs> and that Pittsburgh of all teams figured it out. But, you know, hopefully it's a one-off thing for him. Again, it's a scenario where it's kind of like, I mean, look, I know it escalated quickly, right? What he right. threw like 13 right. pitches. Um, yeah, it was, it was not a lot of time it. to make a different decision, uh, but also not one that you defend by saying, well, he's really good. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what that has to do with anything, but sure. Um, I think there are plenty of other ways to defend that, that decision from a management standpoint, but from uh, Cabrera standpoint, yeah, hopefully it's just a one-off. It, it's something that was weird and not necessarily something that's going to repeat and he can move on with his life, but it definitely uh, increased the frustration level in a week that should not have been as frustrating as it was. But, you know, I say that and then also know, <laughs> I don't know. I would say we expected it, but but we weren't entirely surprised. No, I mean when the this Cardinal team has a chance to frustrate, they tend to take advantage yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Cabrera of course Cabrera also struggled against Pirates last weekend, so it kind of felt like there was kind of a carryover. Um, I don't know. It was just a little bit. You know, I'd rather it be, and I think for the fact that they were hitting the first pitch and second pitch so often. I really think it was a tell, but you'd much rather have it be a tell that he can fix versus hitting a wall uh, like we were talking about. Cause right. you know, he's thrown a lot and a lot of these guys have, it, it feels like maybe with the, if it, like Michelle is relying a little bit more on Garcia and McFarlane. And so we don't see some of these guys quite as much, but it's still a lot. Um, and with Ryan Helsley gone, that just kind of, you know, you trade in one for another. So, yeah. um, uh, you're right. I, I don't know what, you know, again, I don't, we've talked a lot around the bullpen and, and the, the reason the bullpen is so important in times is because you just don't always know what you're going to get with the starters either. You know, um, as we point out, you're going into this big series with the Reds and you're using John Lester, J.A. Happ and Miles Michaelis. And if one of those guys gets to the sixth, I think we'd be pretty surprised. Right. Um, so you're going to need these arms and you got to need these arms in great American ballpark. I mean, there's, uh, there's some kindling for you. They may need to rain because, uh, put out, <laughs> put out the fires. Um, it, it, it feels a little dangerous going into that. Um, I can't, I mean, I've, I've gotten my hopes up a couple of times this year. I'm refusing to do it again. Um, if they go out and sweep the reds, I probably will. And then they'll go, get swept by the brewers and be right back in the same situation and it won't matter. But, um, 
the Cardinals are done with their easy part of their schedule. I mean, the, the schedule gets harder now. Do you have any confidence that they are able to step their game up and play at that level um, after seeing what they did this month? The only confidence I have is the theory that this is a team that plays to the level of their competition. Mm -hmm. And while that's not a lot of consolation, because that means they could still lose to any of them, it does mean that they can still be in those games and stranger things have happened. But I'm like you, it's hard not to, and I think it's, we're, we're all in the same boat, right? As long as they are mathematically in the mix, it's hard not to at least glance at it and care a little bit, but it's also very difficult not to watch them and kind of expect the blow up to happen at this point, whether it's, you know, offensively, I guess the opposite of a blow up, (laughs) the, the shutdown, the, the ice cold, the frozen tundra whatever it you you know you want to call it versus the pitching that just explodes and um can't reel it back in especially now without jack flaherty and um adam wainwright shout out to him and uh you know happy birthday and all congrats on being one of like three good things this team has going for it this year um but he can't be the only one that's pitching well if this team wants to make up any ground, especially head-to-head against the Reds right now. So they play to the level of their competition. We've seen it happen time and time again. Um, but in doing that, they're going to have to be the the one of the two competitors <laughs> who has one more good play than the other side. Yeah. Right? They're going to have to be the one that gets the the timely hit or picks up the bases loaded strikeout rather than the bases loaded walk, which would be a bit of a miracle at this point. It feels like, but nonetheless, it's I'm struggling because I don't know how to say this any way that we haven't said it this year, but Mm. they're an average team, which means on any given night, they could win against any opponent on any given night, they could lose against any opponent. And that's just the reality of the season that they've put together. And some of that's roster, some of that's management, some of it's just baseball. And who knows what is causing that to happen uh, as much as it has, which is why we go into this week with that tiny little flicker <laughs> that still says, but it's possible that's being shouted down, uh, doused with with water by annoying reality of the rest of the season so far yeah um cardinals again they go into this last stretch three games over 500 so if nothing else we get to watch that and make sure they can hopefully continue to stay over 500 for keep their streak alive there um before we close tonight and i know you've been busy this evening so you might not have seen this yet but have you seen the story about the mets <laughs> the thumbs down? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it, for, I'm pretty sure everybody, by the time, especially if you've listened to the show, will have known this. But basically, you know, every team, I think, I think every team has these little hand gestures and things that they do, their inside joke type of things that they do, like after a big hit or a double or whatever. Um, 
you know, the, the, the little glasses that what the car that the Cardinals pitchers mm-hmm. do when yep. the guys a hit and Harrison Bader always seems to have something when he gets a hit, which has been a lot rarer of late, but that's another story. The Mets um, were apparently starting this thumbs down sign. Somebody asked Javi Baez about it today. And basically he said, well, we're booing the fans because they boo us when we don't do anything good. So we boo them when we do do something good because they've got to be better than that. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah. I mean, what do you, how, how do you play for X amount of years? Baez has been around for what? Six years, I guess, mm-hmm. or so since he's to be a free agent this year. How do you play for that long? And yes, you might be frustrated with the fans, but how do you how do you even think to go hum up with a thumbs down gesture, talk other players into doing it, and then think I'm going to tell everybody about it? Where does this come from? Well, first of all, we're seeing the difference in playing in Chicago yeah. and playing in New York, and I'm not sure. Javi Baez can take the heat. He's the kind of player that uh, loves to put on a show and he loves the praise from the fans. So to get the reverse of that is new for him. And it's something that I'm not sure he's going to put up with well in New York if he were to try to return there. So that's an an interesting part of it. Um, The other thing is... I. I don't know. I watched the video um, and the thumbs down was way less dramatic and showy than uh, than it sounded just in reading the reports. But then, of course, New York media being what it is, ask him about it. And mm-hmm. they're going to poke the bear as often as they can to create a story and a headline. And I, that's all part of it as well, too. But uh, I was talking to my husband about it, who, as you all know, is a Cubs fan. Uh, and his comment was, look, Javi's been pretty bad. The Mets have been pretty bad. And especially in New York, you kind of have to expect that they're going to react. And that's what they do. That's what you do when you're a sports fan in New York and your team's bad. You boo them. Right. So that you got to expect that. It is what it is. They are allowed to. It's fine. They're voicing their opinion. But he also said, like, Javi's got to know <laughs> you can't. You can't do that to the fans and then not expect people to react, right? So it kind of is this weird cycle that goes both ways between the fans, you know, reacting to what they're seeing, which is fine, but also like maybe crossing a line. And then Javi Baez uh, taking everything personally and instead of being challenged to, <laughs> you know, play better, yeah. um, instead has taken it upon himself to. Uh, put the fans in check, which is a, a weird thing to try to do when you're the new guy in town. <laughs> so, you know, Baez likes to be the center of attention. He likes to be, like I said, the one putting on a show. And, uh, I mean, I'll give him credit. The home run he hit prior to the thumbs down coming back to the dugout was a monster. So, kudos to him for that. But it's just one of, I, like I said, I think the you know, to complete the circle is <laughs> it's New York. <laughs> These things happen in New York um, or in Boston or in Philly that probably wouldn't happen elsewhere, but I don't know if Baez is, uh, is built to handle it. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, besides, yeah, it's definitely a, in a Mets thing. I think it's even yeah. specifically oh, yeah. a Mets yeah. thing. Because the Mets then put out a statement after the game, after all this comes out, that basically says fans can boo. We're not going to tolerate the players doing that kind of gesture. We're going to have a meeting about this. <laughs> it's, which is, I think is probably a good idea for them to kind of get ahead of this, especially, you know, because if you don't, then it's like, well, your customer base may think you agree with them and you don't want that. But um, yeah, there was somebody. I mean, at least it was a thumbs down and not other hand well, gestures yeah other hand gestures get you <laughs> traded to san diego for an all-star yeah. um but um at least it did for gary templeton um <laughs> but yeah i just somebody somebody thought that the mets would resign hobby bias i didn't think they would just because they got francisco and lindor but when you see this it's like one no the mets are not going to and two what does his market look like this this year? I mean, because you're right, he's not being that great. He obviously still has potential. He obviously still has, you know, a, a lot to offer a team. But it also feels like there's a lot of circus that goes with it. And when it's going to cost you two hundred million dollars or whatever it's going to cost, I think that his market gets a lot smaller. And you know, as somebody that has grown up, not well, not grown up, watched him. Um, for a long period of time as he's grown as he's grown up as a cub i can't say that bothers me a whole lot (laughs) yeah it's interesting i mean this is one of those things that i think probably seems bigger in the moment than it will be come the off season when teams are like hey who's gonna hit a bunch of home runs for us this year uh (laughs) they're probably not gonna care that much that he (laughs) created a war with mets fans because like you said it's very Mets. The, there's a love-hate relationship there with the whole circus that is the New York Mets. Uh, so I don't know that that in and of itself is going to do a lot of damage to what his market might be. I think the bigger issue is he is going to have a very different impression of what his price should be than what a lot of teams are going to think based on what he's done the last couple of seasons and, uh, you know, Maybe there's some element of, hey, is there going to be a lot of drama that comes with this? Who knows? And I don't know what Baez is like in the clubhouse, but I imagine he's the same kind of show-off personality there that he is on the field. And some people like that. Some people can get along with that. And uh, in some places, it's probably going to rub some guys the wrong way. So to be the new guy trying to pull off that persona... And also thinking you're probably worth a lot more than you really are in terms of your production. It's going to be interesting to see how, well, look, this entire offseason is going to be interesting in terms of how markets develop based on the last couple of years. When you take into account the the COVID season and, you know, all sorts of other details that led into this year and how much you you bounce back and all sorts of things. So it's going to be a weird market anyway, plus, you know, CBA and, Mm -hmm. and all that there's probably going to be a lot of waiting around to see what happens on both sides. Yeah. (laughs) Players are going to want to wait around, see what happens. So are teams. And that could kind of collapse the value of some of those, those markets for a guy like Baez, but it also could maybe at some point work to his advantage because teams are going to need to fill those rosters and make improvements. And maybe he can convince somebody that, you know, the last season is the anomaly, not what's going to be the norm. 
Maybe. Maybe so. I also think it's probably just a good thing the Cardinals were not at home, or maybe we'd have our own booing situation <laughs> yeah. to deal with. Um, but the Cardinals are gone for all this week. Um, when we come with you next week, uh, assuming we do, it's a Labor Day weekend, uh, that final marker of the season as we really have you know, just about less than 30 games left at that point in time. Uh, Cardinals and Reds, and then Cardinals and Brewers before they go home. So Tara and I will probably be with you next week to talk about it. But until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click Subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.